we see that that tells us the story of Jesus. Because you have a father who would willingly offer up his son on our behalf. We read the story of the Exodus where Moses leads the children of Israel. And we see that that is a representation, a shadow, if you will, of God leading those of us who are believers from the sin that has captured us into freedom. We see the story of David and how he killed a giant. It tells us the story of Jesus who stands as our champion as we sit in the background as cowards. We see all of Scripture tells us the story of Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, and I would imagine you've asked yourself at some point, that's great, and I can see that story when you point that out, but what about the weird stories? What about the stories about leprosy? What about the stories about difficult things? The strangest story in the Bible, I believe, we find in the book of Hosea. So if you're there with me, we pick up in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri, the son of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. Those are all biblically inspired, hard-to-pronounce names. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land, it commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. How is this going to tell us the story of of Jesus? I don't know what your love story was. My, My wife and I met at a summer camp. That's our story. Some of you may have a high school sweetheart that you sit with in this room right now. That's your story. Maybe you sat across the a class in psychology. Well, it wasn't psychology. It was some engineering class. I know how this place works. And you <laughs> sat across the room and you saw a young lady or a young, and that's your story. Nobody wants this story. Where'd you meet? High school. What about you? Well, she was a prostitute. That's not a fun story. But God's telling a bigger story. He's telling the story of himself and how he has had to deal with the nation of Israel for years. He's telling a story of redemption. You pick up in verse 3. So Hosea went and he took Gomer. Gomer has two problems in life. One is her name is Gomer. The second is that she is a prostitute. The son of Diblium. And she conceived and she bore him a son. Going well so far. They move into their prophet prostitute cottage. Everything's going okay. They're in love with one another. They have a baby. And they have to do what any of us do when we have a baby. They have to decide, how will I name said baby? Is that not the hardest thing in the world? Naming babies? We have four kids at our house. That's why we're here. And (laughs) where'd you go on vacation? Lake Jackson. How'd that work? Well, the kids were at the house. It doesn't matter. So four kids. We have an eight-year-old named Shepard. We have a five-year-old who'll be six this month named Charlie. We have a three-year-old daughter who'll be four in this Wednesday named Noli. Side note, when you have a kid named Charlie and a daughter named Noli and you get their names mixed up, you're calling someone gnarly all of the time. <laughs> it's Wayne's world in my house. And then we've got this baby named Alder. Those are our four children. We didn't know how we were going to name the first baby. They give you a nine-month head start, and I believe that it's only so you can figure out what you're going to name the kid. We, we bought books, and I kept 
offering up really good child names to my, my wife. I was like, well, what do you think about this? And, and I would say this, and she would I don't know about that. And I wanted something from the Bible that sounded like judgment. I, what about Malachi? And she said, Chad, that's one of the children of the corn. We cannot name our baby that. <laughs> Processing what we're going to name the kid. We, we show up at the hospital. It's time to deliver baby number one. They hand me a shirt that said coach. Dads, we know what coaching looks like. You stand there like this. Oh, my word. And I'm there wearing my, my scrub and the doctor begins to go into to, to doctoral things. And she delivers the baby. And she asked me if I wanted to cut the cord. I said, no, ma'am, that's why we pay you. You do everything with sharp objects. Do you want to hold the baby? No, no, ma'am, my wife gets to hold the baby first. Well, what's the baby's name? Well, we don't know. You know we gave you a nine-month jump on this. That's okay. You can figure it out. Day two comes. Lady walks in the room. What's the baby's name? We don't know. Sir, before you leave the hospital with this baby, he has to have a name. Ma'am, I'll call him wheat bread temporarily if I want to. <laughs> we eventually land on Shepherd. As someone who spent a large portion of my life around church people, I would think that we would know how to spell Shepherd. <clears throat> nope. Everyone comes to me with variations of his name. Now, is his name Shafar? <laughs> no, ma'am, that's a Bible horn. Or the villain on Aladdin. <laughs> One old lady comes to me and she said, Is your baby's name Sheep? <laughs> yes. My firstborn son, the fruit of my loin, we named him Sheep. Can you imagine disciplining little sheep? Sheep, you are bad. Hosea doesn't have to deal with naming his babies. He, he has to deal with something else altogether. God gets to name the babies for him. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I'll, I'll punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Maybe we don't know exactly what that word means. And when we look into scriptures and we really begin to look at what words may mean for us. Or what they mean in the time that Hosea wrote this. Hosea, this prophet of the Lord. This man whose life was literally for the intent of showing God prophetically as he dealt with a wife who may or may not care for him at times. The word Jezreel means uprooted. And God has said to Hosea, name baby number one uprooted. Because I've been the foundation for the nation of Israel for all these years, I'm no longer going to be that. You name baby number one, no foundation. Because I won't be their foundation anymore. What a strange, strange name. We keep going, the story gets trickier.
Verse 6. She conceived again and she bore a daughter. I think what's more important is for us to read what it does not say. She did not bear him a daughter. Baby number two does not belong to Hosea. Which means that his wife has returned to prostitution. Meaning that that was not simply the way she provided for herself. It was in actuality her identity. You name baby number two no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Baby number one, no mercy. Or baby number one, no foundation. Baby number two, no mercy. The, the word actually comes from the Jewish word for womb, which is, should be the safest place for a baby. I will no longer be their mercy. I will no longer be the safe place for them. Chad, are you reading into these names? How do you know that that baby doesn't belong to him? When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived again and she bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name. Remember, not bore him a son. Call his name. Not mine. Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. God looked at Hosea and said, Hosea, every time you look at your wife and the children that she gives you, I want you to remember the way that the nation of Israel has treated me and I want your life to be a living embodiment of that. This nation that claims to be not mine doesn't care for me. They give lip service to that. Hosea, every time you walk over to the edge of your crib and you look over and you see the baby... You will see a child that she tells you is yours, yet it looks nothing like you. Because every time I look at the nation of Israel, they claim to be mine, yet they look nothing like me. So if we're to pull out big spiritual mirrors in this room right now, for a group of people I would imagine, for the most part, belong to this Jesus, I simply have to ask, do you look anything like him? Does your life reflect the person of Jesus? Two verses 1 through 13 are the nation of Israel running. I would imagine many of us have had that running time in our own lives seeking to find our identity in other places because the identity that God had offered us was not the one that we wanted. Running here, running there, running everywhere, to and fro, and everywhere they went, there was no answer. A wall here, a sand pit there, a black hole to the back. 13 verses of them seeking to find identity because God had said, I'll no longer be that. What happens when you run and you don't get where you need to be? Exhaustion sets in 
Am I right? And they're exhausted. Here's the place where my wicked heart kicks in and I think about someone running for me and how I would deal with their sprint. At the point they stop, I'll destroy them. Justice and wrath. That's what they deserve. 14 of chapter 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. At the point where this nation falls on their knees and cannot move anymore, when they deserve the hammer, I will allure them. We don't use that word a lot. It's a perfume, I think. (laughs) The best word that we have is pursue. I will allure her and I will speak tenderly to her. I will make her mine. I'll love her. You remember when you met? Lots of you met in college. I've I've had multiple conversations this morning. That's what happens. You see the girl across campus. You immediately have affection for her based on certain attributes. She's pretty or she smells good or, or whatever. You see her walking towards the cafeteria at lunch. You've skipped class so you can be there. You step in front of her in the dining hall. You've written a poem for her. Roses are red. Do you want Chick-fil-A? Let's both get waffle fries. Won't you be my bae? And when you say this to her, love is there and she sees things about you and you see things about her. She's Instagramming photos which weirds the boy out because he wasn't ready for that. She finds things in you that are attractive. You find things in her that are attractive. You're drawn to one another because of those things. Make no bones about it. That's not God's story for you. There was nothing about you in and of you where God said, you know what, I need that. God has never said he needed anything. He doesn't look and say you're funny enough or you're smart enough or you're cute enough or you're whatever enough. God's pursuit of you begins with him. That's 1 John 4. You can love God in response because he chose to love you first. I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. And there, verse 15... I will give her vineyards. That sounds cool. And I will make the valley of a core a door of hope. Words still matter. The word hope literally means Oswald Chambers. Anyone ever do my utmost for his highest in the room? Walk through that. 
he defines hope as to, to be seized by a great affection. But to see the depth of what God's saying here, the valley of Accor in Scripture, that word, Accor, means trouble. Do you see the gospel in that? I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. So for, for you in this room, and, and for me, I, I need to hear this regularly, the God of the Bible, He's not looking at you hoping that you get to the other side of your problems. That's not His desire. As a matter of fact, what Scripture teaches is He doesn't meet you when your troubles are finished. He meets you in the midst of those. And at that point, when He meets you in the midst of that trouble, He flips it to hope. He becomes a door of hope for you in order to be a door of hope through you. God meeting us where we need to be met. That's every one of our stories. Look what he does with these kids. This is beautiful. Pick up with me in 21. And in that day I will answer the Lord. I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens. And they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. Now what did Jezreel mean? Anybody remember? Uprooted, no foundation. I will say to no, no foundation, I will sow you for myself in the land. I'll be your foundation again. And I will sow her for myself in the land and to mercy, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people and I am your God. This is the work of God Pursuing us when we have done nothing to be pursued. Loving us when there is nothing about us that's lovable. Caring about us when there's nothing about us for which to be cared. God interceding where we need intercession. God not meeting people who are in a bad condition and making them better. But God meeting people who are in a dead condition and making them alive. That's what the gospel is. You're mine. I'm your foundation. I'm your hope. I'm your mercy. But what about Hosea? Chapter 2, God's telling his story. And the entirety of the time, do you know what Hosea's doing? He's dealing with a wife who keeps leaving. For days and days and days and he doesn't know where she is. I get nervous when Hope goes to the grocery store for 45 minutes. We have four kids. I'm outsourcing them to neighbors. <laughs> Chapter 3, God comes back to telling his story through Hosea. And the first thing he says... The Lord said to me, Go again. What do you mean, go again? Do you not realize what she's been doing? Why do I have to go again? Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man. And she's an adulteress. Why? Because, Jose, your life tells my story. 
even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. You go get her because I keep coming to get you. Though they turn to other gods and they love cakes of raisins. Let's be real, people. They're eating the bad little Debbies. Those are terrible. Go again. So Hosea stands up to go again. I don't know if you're familiar with the layout of a city at this point in history. I'm not too familiar, but I do know that where the prophets are and the prostitutes are, they're not typically in the same place. So he gets up and he puts his cloak on, his prophet cloak, to go get her. And he walks across town and he's known as the prophet. So everyone who sees him They know what he does and they know what he is supposed to stand for. I don't know how it works in Lake Jackson, but this type of thing causes whispers where I'm from. Can you believe he's going again? I heard she left him again. That third kid looks nothing like him. Do you know that? Go again. And Hosea is figuratively covering up his ears with his hands to block out all the voices that would undo what God has told him to do. Go again. Go again. Go again. And all that he has to remind himself of what he is supposed to do are the words of the Lord. And sometimes for me and for you, that's what we've got. What has the Lord told me to do and what do I have to block out to do it? Go again, go again, go again. He gets to where the prostitution takes place. When when he arrives, his wife is standing on a block being sold like an animal. Go again. Go again. At this point, we have to be asking ourselves, well, where's the gospel in this story? Because this just took a very odd turn. Hosea would walk up, and there would be a man who stood between him and her. And he would do what any husband would do if he saw his wife in a bad spot. He reach out for her to take her by the hand. And there's a man who stops this. Go there with me. Stopping him. What are you doing? She's mine. Well, we made vows. She's mine. I'm hers. She's mine. That, that's what we signed up for. The gospel is that you're his. Every one of us in this room are his Because we're objects of creation. If you live and breathe, you are His. As a matter of fact, what Scripture teaches is that God knows everything about you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. I don't think that's what knitting looks like, but that's what He did. 
He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he knows the number of hairs on your head. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just count them. He numbered them. That's how the Bible reads. He numbered the hairs on your head. You're his in every way you can be. You are his as an object of creation. But very much like Gomer, we have chosen the block. And we can't do anything about it. This thing called sin has twisted itself inside of us. And even when we want to leave it behind, we cannot leave it behind on our own. We are helpless and we... Hosea reaches to take the hand of his wife. And when he reaches to take her hand, the man stops him and says to him, If she's going home with you... You have to buy her. And the bidding begins. One number's called out. Hosea bids louder. Another number is shouted. Hosea bids again. And scripture says... So I bought her. Where's the gospel in this? Well, you were his. But because of sin, locked in it, can't do anything about it. For you to be right with God and in relationship with him, a purchase had to be made. The big Bible word is propitiation. There had to be an exchange that God would buy you. But the fullness of the gospel takes place in what he bought her with. The going price for a prostitute at this point in history was 30 shekels of silver. He didn't have that. It says that he bought her with 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. I don't know how it works for you, but if you're rolling in wheat... You're not rolling deep. So, to get this story, we ask ourselves, well, what was the intended purpose of the wheat? In the home of a poor prophet, in the home of any poor family, in a world where bread was the center of your dining experience. the wheat that he offered up in exchange for his wife, its intended purpose was to feed those children. So Hosea made a decision to buy his wife back at their expense. What is the gospel? For God who made you and knit you together in your mother's womb and numbered the hairs on your head so loved the world that he gave his only son as an exchange for your sin-choosing self in order that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. 
Not that God gave the bread that would provide for Jesus, but to buy you and me back. He gave him completely. I love the names in the story. The name Hosea has meaning. It means that God saves. And when you get him to this point in the story of chapter 2, we can really look at Gomer's name and ask ourselves, what does it mean? It means completely. So when you thread this story of a prostitute who will not love her husband, it means that God saves completely. At great cost, based on nothing that we've done, based completely in his mercy, God saves completely. It's the story of a gospel and a prostitute, and it's my story and it's yours. That God has met us in the midst of our sin and he has chosen to bring us home. That God would save us completely. Would you do this with me this morning? I'd invite you just to bow your heads and band's gonna get in place and we're, we're gonna celebrate this gospel but I just wanna be very clear with you scripture teaches for all of us that we are sinners there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves about that sin that we are locked in it and there's no hope for us in and of ourselves maybe for you this morning you're at that locked in place where you know you need Jesus I've been around the sweet people of this church for just the last three or four days and I know that they care about plugging you in and walking through that with you. Just know that if you're here and I would encourage you even at this moment to have a conversation with the Lord. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you for, for hope. I need you to, to transform me. God, this sin, I can't do anything about it. And maybe even right now you're having that conversation. Jesus, I need you because I can't do anything about my sin. I want to trust the life that you offer. If that's you, after our service, the Greek team here at Grace Bible would love to chat with you and love to share with you what it means for you to experience the life-giving faith that Jesus offers us, those who acknowledge our sin and trust in him as our Savior. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that we have seen men and women saved today. I pray that we've seen people realize their, their place apart from you, the sinful place that they're in. God, I pray for those of us who are believers that we've seen the same thing. We've seen the great lengths to which you went to bring us home and to make us yours. I pray, Jesus, that we will be people who celebrate salvation because we sing how you are a good God. And I pray that that goodness will echo in our hearts so that we desire to know you more and trust you for who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. We sing together.